0: Welcome to the All Saints Anglican Cathedral Sermon Podcast. For more information about this resource and many more, visit allsaintsamesbury.org. Enjoy! You may be seated. So before I start, if, you know like when you have something on your face after you eat and no one tells you you have something on your face? If my mic doesn't work, I need someone to say it, because this is God's Word and we want to hear it, all right? So, um, and that just came to me, that's, that's inspiration by the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, so as a kid, as a young kid, um, I, I went through some, some hard times when I was roughly about 10 years old. My grandfather had passed away a couple years before that and he was he was really big in my life. My mom and dad had divorced years before. Um, We weren't a church-going family. My mom was remarried to my stepfather and there was just a lot of turmoil um, a lot of turmoil there. And and I was looking for an escape and there was really only a couple ways to escape or to have this experience. One was through sports. I love playing sports. I love playing baseball but the other was through stories and there was a particular story that I was introduced to that really made me experience something I never experienced before. We weren't a church-going family and so, um, so I knew there was something missing and then I was introduced to C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia and I remember I initially was introduced through this kinda cheesy 1980s The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe um, um, thing and I was just mesmerized by it. There was this, there was this beauty, this transcendence, this, this idea where you go into this world and being a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve was a big deal and, and it was this magic and there you stood before the great lion Aslan who was terribly wonderful, who was, who was scary but yet was beautiful and there was something about this person, this, this, this character. And I remember just getting this feeling. And then I would go about my daily life, and then I remember racing back so I could read the story or I could watch the movie to have that feeling again. And I think that sometimes that's how we act in our Christian walk, in our life. We, we, we act as if God only cares about a certain part of our life. You see, there's 168 hours in a week, and, and statistically about 10 of those hours is spent doing church or religious stuff either coming to church or alone time with the Lord. Um, We we sleep about 48 hours a week, which we probably should sleep more than that, but 48 hours a week. And then the 110 hours, the rest of the week, we just figure God really doesn't care about those 110 hours. And so we go and we seek this experience. and, And those things are good. Gathered worship that we're doing in here is great. And our alone time with God is great. But as Christians, God is primarily meant to be continually experienced in the ordinary, everyday journey of life. So the title of today's message is Ordinary Experience, and we're going to look at Psalm 84. And just to give you a little bit of the context of Psalm 84, Psalm 84 was used for public worship um, by pilgrims as as they traveled to the temple. So people from all around the known world at the time would travel to the temple because the temple is where God dwelt. And it's where they were seeking the presence of God and you would walk into the temple and there would be all of these beautiful things all over the place which ultimately pointed to a a greater reality and a more beautiful person. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 84 and I want to look at it from, from this side of redemptive history, after Jesus Christ, knowing the reality of Jesus and explore three ways that we could experience God in our ordinary and everyday life. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Speak to our hearts. Break through whatever walls we have put up. We just, we just want to hear from you today. Speak to us through your word. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First, we experience God in the ordinary when we dwell in the beauty of Christ. When we dwell in the beauty of Christ. And and it starts off with, we need to dwell in the creative beauty of Christ. We read in Psalm 84, how lovely, how lovely, how appealing, yes, how appealing visually, but how appealing emotionally is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, It, it desires For the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh, sing for the joy of the living God, the God of absolute being, the Alpha, the Omega. The God that is bigger than we could possibly comprehend. See, we need to recognize that all of us have a need to dwell in this creative, transcendent beauty. We have this need. We know that there's something more beautiful out there. We feel it every time, you know, in the fall when you go and you're looking at the fall leaves... And they're changing, and you look at them, and and you get that sense. Like, who could could even do this? Like, I would have never even thought about that. Or you get this when you eat a really good meal. I don't know if you've ever ate, like, a really good meal, and you're like, it's like a transcendent, like, experience, right? You're like, this is awesome. You see, when we have those moments, one, one, it, it points to the fact that God speaks through stuff that matter matters, that we've been sold into this lie that, you know, everything creative is bad, and the whole, the whole point of our, our life here is to escape so we could go to heaven and kind of be this, this, like, spirit floating around and so on and so forth, and it's, 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 it's a theological fallacy. Stuff matters. It matters to God. And yes, things have been corrupted by sin, but nonetheless, you see this creative beauty and this and this, 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 this thing that had been tainted by sin and it's not linear, it's, it actually runs in parallel so we can experience the beauty of what God has for us the creative beauty and ultimately it points to the agent of creation our Lord Jesus Christ we also need to dwell in the cross of Christ verse 3 says even the sparrow, even the lowly sparrow even the lowly sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at the altars at your altars o lord of hosts my king my god everyone has this sense of smallness and their need to dwell in peace and rest and safety we have this need we have this desire and and and, and we know it because we seek it in our every day and we read here that even the humblest even the humblest sparrow finds rest at the altar of God and and this side of the redemptive history we see that even the humblest even the one, the tax collector who's who's banging on his chest even the one that has failed a a billion times even the one that the world has forsaken finds rest at the cross of Christ at the cross of Christ where heaven and earth comes crashing down that's the goodness of the gospel isn't it? The goodness of the gospel is that I can't earn my way to heaven. There's no way. Even in, the, even in my car from my house in Haverhill to here, somebody cut me off. And I had to repent. You guys are laughing because it probably happened to you, all right? And if that was you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for that. <laughs> my point is, is the gospel is we can't earn this. And there's a separation. And we feel that we need rest And our souls are are in turmoil. Yet Jesus Christ lived a perfect and righteous life. And he came to this earth and he was nailed to a cross. And on the cross you see heaven and earth come crashing together. And amongst that violence, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we find rest because of the resurrection power, because he was risen. And not only that, but Jesus, the beautiful creator, is continually creating even now. And will one day come back and consummate his creation. That means no matter what you do, matters to God. And we find, our, find rest, we find peace only at the cross of Jesus. We also need to dwell with the people of Christ. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. You see, we have this desire to be with our people, right? There seems to be this divine favor when we're with our people, when we're with our tribe, when we're with our family. You know what I mean? When you walk in and you just feel, these are my people. And you see, in Christ, because the Holy Spirit has indwelt us, we are the temple of God. We are living bricks of the temple. And we're called to dwell in Christ with one another so we found family here in Christ and this family in Christ the Bible is clear is more important, than, more important than even our earthly family I know that's a hard one right but it's the truth so look to your left and look to your right this is your family you're gonna see them forever so I hope you love them. If not, we pass the piece. Go ahead and uh, make amends on that part, all right? So, now, because I was, I was so fascinated with, with the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid, I, I thought that uh, I, there was a portal in my house to Narnia. So I started searching in all the closets, and since we didn't have big wardrobes or anything, I was going under the bed, and... and um, I couldn't find it, and honestly, I got exhausted. I just got exhausted. Especially, I was, I was a fat kid growing up, so trying to fit under a bed wasn't good, all right? There was a lot of strenuous things happening there, all right? I was exhausted physically and emotionally. You see, we often search, trying to fulfill this void, this eternal desire for beauty, with things and stuff which results in being overscheduled. How many of us are overscheduled? It's just like you think you move from one thing to the other. You can't catch your breath. We're tired. We're restless. We're so overscheduled that we're restless. We can't even sleep. We search for these things and we get hurt by them and we feel lonely. And what we need is a beautiful Savior. Savior. And the pinnacle of beauty is experienced in the complex magnificence, magnificence of the person and work of Jesus Christ lived out in the family of Christ. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. So a couple weeks ago, after service, I wanted to get to know Father Bill a little bit more. And so I said, "Let's go, let's go out." And so we went out. We walked down the street, and we walked down to one of the local breweries. And it's right on, on the on the river, right there, off the Pow Wow River. And we're sitting outside. It's a beautiful fall day. The river's going. We're hearing the water. It's Amesbury, beautiful. We we're, we're drinking a beer together. We're laughing. We're having fun. We're talking about how much Jesus is just wonderful. And so we're enjoying the creation. We're enjoying one another. And we're enjoying our salvation. And all of it just comes merging together in this sacramental moment. And so for us, how do we do that? How do we have those sacramental moments? Well, I think we need to stop searching. And we need to realize and build space into our lives to dwell in Christ. In those, during those sacramental moments. I don't know what that moment is for you. That might be when your kid is lying down for sleep and going to bed, and you just sit there and you just look at your child and, and you just feel that sense of, of well-being, and it's good. It might be having dinner. It might be watching a baseball game. I don't know what it is. But God is meant to be experienced in those ordinary moments, in those ordinary experiences. We have to dwell. We have to build space and time for that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we experience God in the ordinary when we look to Christ, when we look to to Christ. And we are blessed when we look to Christ during our everyday trials of life. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highway of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, what's the valley of Baca? It's a place, no one's really sure where it's at, but the valley of Baca, literally translated, is a valley of weeping, They make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with the pools, and we know what it feels like to be in the Valley of Weeping, right? Although we're all different in this room, we all have different experiences, we're all all wherever, we've been through many different places, one thing we can share is the fact that we've all been hurt at one point or another, and we all have experienced the Valley of Weeping, and you might be in the Valley of Weeping right now. We've all experienced the loss, loss of a loved one, whether due to dying, due to being left, being abandoned. We've experienced the loss of, of, of dreams, things that we thought we wanted to do, but they no longer are there or possible. And these big hurts translate into our everyday, and we start having these everyday hurts where we, we tell ourselves that nobody really cares about this. No one cares if I'm hurting right now. It's really not that big of a deal. You know, I'm just whining. I'm just complaining. And you know, God especially doesn't care about this hurt. Why, God's so busy. Why would he care about what I'm dealing with right now? And that's a lie, we're told, and we believe it. In the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the mag- magician's nephew, there's a character named Digory is this little boy and Didgeri's mom is sick, and she's dying, and he's in the valley of weeping. And he enters into Narnia. Narnia had just been created by the great lion Aslan, and Didgeri dares not even look at Aslan, because he's so majestic, so so almost scary. Yet Aslan calls, calls him uh, to, to, to come to him, and Didgeri starts to think of his mom and he starts to weep and he stands before Aslan and and this is what C.S. Lewis writes he says up till then he had not been looking at the lions he, he had been looking at the lions great feet and the huge claws on them now in his despair he looked up at his face what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life for the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders Great, shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Didri's own that for that moment, he felt as if the lion must really be sorry about his mother than he was himself. You see, we forget about the empathetic compassion of Jesus Christ. When we're in the valley of weeping, our great high king kneels his head down to us. And he weeps with us. He knows exactly what you're going through. That's the whole point of the cross. He knows exactly what it's like to go through our experience and to experience loss and to experience pain. You see, there's no other message. There's no other savior that does that. And when he cries, he feels he feels sorry, sorrier and more empathetic than even we do because he can identify with the human plight more than even we can because he's perfectly human and perfectly God. He understands our hurt and our everyday hurt more than even us. And in the midst of that, we need to look for Christ for strength. Verse 5 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. And oftentimes when we're in the, the valley of weeping, we become paralyzed. We become paralyzed. We, we, could, we could fall prey to almost throwing one, one a pity party for, for ourselves. We could kind of fall into a victim mentality. But more, more often than not, we believe lies that people are saying about us. We forget what God says about us. And we often look for strength in places and people that made, make absolutely no sense I mean, just think about it. Think about the things that you've tried to look for strength in. I mean, that's why there's a whole self-help book, like, markets, and it thrives. That's why if you probably went into your garage or your basement, you'll probably find exercise equipment, you'll probably find books, you'll probably find all these things that you have searched for and, and said, hey, I want to, to uh, make sense of my life and find strength in these things. You could probably find relationships in your life that map out where you look for strength at. But they're always going to fall short because what you need is an eternal and infinite solution. And we forget that the darkness of the valley is the best place to feel the love of the Father through the Son. It's the best place in the valley to see the glory of God. The darker we're in, the more glorious His, the radiance of His glory shines. Now in this, this story, this, this, this magician's nephew, Didgeri, after, after he confronts the lion Aslan and he's crying, Aslan wants him to thrive through this. And Aslan gives him this, this impossible task to go off to this faraway area on this, this horse that flies to go get this seed of this tree that, in a land that no one's ever been in. And Didgeri's not sure if he could do it, but he wants to say yes because it's Aslan who's asking him. But he's not sure if he could do it. And then we read C.S. Lewis writes The lion drew a deep breath, stooped its head even lower, and gave him a lion's kiss. And at once, Didri felt that new, the new strength and courage had come into him. See, we all long for the lion's kiss, don't we? The lion of Judah, the kiss of Christ, to give us strength. And that starts with the fact that we need to feel the feels, guys. When we're in the valley of weeping, we need to feel the feels. See, emotional and spiritual health and maturity are linked. You can't have one without the other. Our everyday brokenness is, is, a, is a conduit for the compassion of Christ, which manifests itself into the strength of Christ and the maturity in Christ. And we read, O oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. So how do we receive this lion's kiss from the Lion of Judah? Well, it's through prayer. And oftentimes we have a misunderstanding of what prayer is. And I'm not talking about, I mean, it could be prayer where you stop and you pray. But I'm talking about a continual posture, a recognition that God is actively here. You see, we often act as if God is even here in the room. Even when we come to Sunday worship and gathered worship, sometimes we're like, okay, God's here, let me go ahead and get God in the room. He's already here. We need to live in the recognition that He's here and He's active, and He's listening and He cares. And we need to also come come, live in this reality with the expectation that we want to see God act in the ordinary things of life, because we set the bar so low often. Like if God's not going to show up and He's not here, and so we need to build time. We need to think. We need to stand back. We need to be in this posture that God is here, even right now Christ is here holding us up giving us the very breath that we're breathing listening to us so that's the second thing finally, we experience God in the ordinary when we walk by the grace of Christ we walk by the grace of Christ and we walk by the grace of Christ and we trust in the efficacy of grace what do I mean by that? I mean that Grace actually changes everything. When we come to faith in Christ and we receive the the grace of Jesus Christ, sometimes we compartmentalize it like, hey, that's good, I'm saved and I'm no longer destined for hell and I'm going to heaven, whoop-dee-doo, that's awesome. But it really doesn't mean anything in my my normal everyday life. But it actually does, because God's grace is, 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 is powerful. And the efficacy of grace permeates every aspect of life it changes our everyday experience and it changes our everyday reality And we must remember that by his grace he is our Son and our shield he is our protection it is by God's grace the Lord bestows favor and honor, not favor and honor that we earn but favor and honor because Christ earned it on our behalf and has been given to us by the righteousness of Christ we must remember that it is by grace we are rescued and that a day an hour, a minute, a second, a millisecond in the grace-filled courts of God is better than the alternative you see grace when we meditate on grace and what it means in our everyday life it allows us to thrive instead of operating in fear and anxiety and that sinking sinking feeling of scarcity you know what I mean? that sinking feeling like I have to earn this you know often it comes like oh I did something wrong so God's gonna strike me down you know what I'm talking about or maybe it's the other end I did something good so, God, you should bless me. Or the sense of, I feel like I'm always doing something wrong. That's not grace. That's not living in a grace-filled life. Or, if I don't do this, then so-and-so won't love me. And we often bring that in our relationship with God. He's already proven he's loving, lo- lo- he loves you. That was the cross. So we, we don't need to operate with scarcity, but in joy, and that everything is infused with the grace of Jesus Christ. And we walk by the grace of Christ, and we trust that God is concerned with with, with our good, that he actually cares about our good. No good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold. That means that our ordinary experience is filled with good, and that, that means that our ordinary experience is infused with meaning, because God says it's good. But let's just be honest, just amongst friends here. I think we have trust issues with God. I really do. I think we hear these things about God is good and he wants our good, but we really don't trust that in our hearts sometimes. Because, see, we're clear. This, 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 this psalm is clear, and I think it, it represents the rest of the Bible, that God doesn't hold anything good from us, but doesn't say he's going to give us anything we want that's good, right? But he's not going to withhold anything that's good from us, but he's not going to give us anything. But we have trust issues because at the very core of it, we think we know and where we need to go better than God knows. And we're not really sure in the goodness of the ordinary. We want to see the goodness of the extraordinary. You see, grace motivates us to seek his kingdom in the ordinary, trusting him. And I don't know if you remember this character, but in the second book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Ro- Wardrobe, you had Edmund. Edmund was the brother. I wanted to slap Edmund when every time I read that until I realized that I am Edmund. That, that I think I know better and I'm willing to, to, make, to make deals. Because remember, Edmund was, was told by the white witch, hey, I'll make you king. I'll make you king. And so it really, it really, you really saw Edmund's ambition come out. False ambition, ambition that was not of God. And oftentimes we easily could become Edmund in our lives if we don't first seek the kingdom of God. And when we don't first seek this, the kingdom of God and we, we, we usurp the throne of our hearts that belongs to Jesus, we settle for less. That's the thing, we settle for less. As if we know good more than God does. And we settle for less. And God wants to give us so much more. So what's the challenge for us? It's submitting our ambitions by seeking the kingdom of God, kingdom of God in all that we do. And I am so guilty of this. I, I mean, I was a marine for 21 years. We thrive off of ambition, so we need to evaluate our choices through a kingdom. And here's the thing: when we evaluate our choices through a kingdom lens, we experience the satisfaction. That means we might say no to things, or we might have to stay stay where we're at, or it might means, might mean whatever. But we're going to experience satisfaction. Why? Because when we are seeking God's will, when we're seeking his kingdom in, the, in our everyday life, we, we are actually worshiping him in our ordinary. And when we worship God, we experience that satisfaction, that, that sense of well-being, that we're, we're there where we need to be. And the other way around, when we just, ambition is, is not tethered by the Holy Spirit, it's almost like we play whack-a-mole with satisfaction. Nope, not there. Nope, not there. So, as I conclude, this, is one, this, was, a, this was a tough message for me. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Because it really speaks to the heart of, of really just submitting to Jesus in all, all things, in the everyday. You know, as I, I had this fascination with Narnia, this land, it, it eventually became a fascination with Christ in the ordinary. And, I pray that we have that. And this time tomorrow, you're going to be in the midst of your ordinary day. Things are going to be, be going full, full on. And I want, to, I want us to spend a little bit of time. I'm going to ask Father Bill to come up here to, to play a little bit. And I just want us to dwell with God just for a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to give some prayer, promp, uh, prayer prompts, but I just want you to dwell in the Lord and just ask him to examine your hearts. And, and pray that our ordinary experience would be transformed to the, by the extraordinary God of the universe and that we would see this bigger picture of what we're doing and where God has us. So I'm just going to ask them to play. I'll say a few things. And I want to give you permission. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, whatever it is, this is just a time to dwell and be with our Lord. So let us go before God in a posture of prayer. Expecting to receive. Expecting to receive. You are beautiful, Lord Jesus. You are so wonderfully and terribly beautiful. You are a King. You are a God. Yet you are so compassionate. So we come to you right now. We just want to dwell in your presence. Search our hearts, oh God. Give us a bigger vision of your temple. Give us a bigger vision of where you dwell. Father, give us eyes to see your son in the ordinary. Give us eyes to see your Son in the ordinary. God, may we walk by the grace of Christ, knowing that we are children of the Most High God and that we do not, we do not need to live this life in fear or scarcity because you have bankrupted heaven for us and for your glory. Father, as we leave here later on today and into our Monday worship, may we do so with a greater sense that you are everywhere and that we are your children. And may we dwell in you and in your goodness, not in the extraordinary, but in the wonderful magnificence of the ordinary. We pray this, name, this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about All Saints Anglican Cathedral and our mission work in Amesbury and throughout New England, visit our website, allsaintsamesbury.org.